from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 675, Passwordless Authentication with guest Libby Brown. Recorded Thursday, January 23rd, 2020. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. I have a new guest today. My guest is Libby Brown, who's a senior program manager on the cloud authentication team in Microsoft Identity, primarily driving Azure AD features and scenarios involving the Microsoft Authenticator app. She's also had product program and or release manager roles within Microsoft Learning, Office Live Small Business, Office 365, Azure Commerce Platform, and the Universal Store. And outside of work, you can find her vetching and or answering product questions on Twitter as True Blue Devil watching NCAA basketball, and listening to endless Minecraft stories from her kids. Ah, the boys and girls? One of each. One of each, and they're both Minecrafters, huh? Yes, they are. I love it. It's it's such they, a cool, cool environment. They've dragged me in with Minecraft Earth. I resisted the oh. PC and Xbox flavors, but on mobile, it's so handy. But are you hosting a Minecraft server for them yet? My husband does There that. you go. See, this is what makes them the cool kids in the neighborhood when they have their own Minecraft server. Well, they are teaching their classmates how to do, um, you know, more complicated crafting skills. I'm, I, I stay out of it. In fact, the server is called Where's Mama because I am not there. <laughs> but you are playing the Minecraft Earth side of it. Yes. Uh, for me, it's always, what's the, like, this is the ultimate version of Lego. But it's the parlay into the next things. What this even looks like? What What got me was there is like basically I. You probably remember this game, but Farmville. Oh yeah, was of very popular a decade ago, mm-hmm. and there is a large aspect of Farmville carrying over. Oh yeah, there's still farming so, going yeah. on. Uh huh. You plant stuff. You harvest it. You build things with mm-hmm. those. Yeah. I um. There's, there's a theme. There's a, a the other game that I find certain kids get pulled into is Kerbal Space Program. Because same, it's that, that same kind of gardening aspect, except now you're gardening a space program. So you are developing technology and getting missions and building spacecraft and flying them. Uh, oh, I'm going to have to check that one out. Very, really interesting. And, and I've had amazing conversations with kids about orbital mechanics over it because they're, you know, trying to find the most fuel efficient way to fly to the MUN. And which is the equivalent of the moon in Kerbal. And, and it's like, I need to get into a polar orbit, but I'm taking off equatorially. Like, how do I do the transition orbit? It's like, well, you do, you know, an Oberth burn at the far side to about halfway. And then you wait on the second turn and then you, you minimize your, your, uh, Delta V oh, consumption. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. it's geeky. It's a ton of I'm fun. My partner's ready for that, but yeah, well, li- you know, little young. I'll that's, give him another couple of years. The one of the best orbital mechanic conversations I've ever had, I think it was a ten year old, but he was all in. But he'd been going to the library and taking out orbital mechanics books. Jeez. Yeah. No, my kids are, are right now uh into geology because of Minecraft. Oh, so right. they're learning all about like obsidian and lava and yeah. The so different stratas. Yeah. Well, should we have a password conversation or a security conversation as well? Because you're in the identity space these days. I I know. It feels like um 
That's a very popular topic. And I would say instead of passwords, let's talk about how we get rid of passwords. Is this a real uh, thing? Like we keep hearing about it. It's almost cliche now, but are we really able to, can I, as an IT pro say, I don't want passwords in my org? Uh, you can say that. And <laughs> some organizations have done that quite successfully. Right. Uh, as Alex Simons, you may know him as a vice president here in identity. He always says, you know, for the temp companies who have made smart cards work, it works great for them, and it is a passwordless solution. And that Microsoft being one of them, right? You guys were pretty heavy into smart cards for a long time. <laughs> you know, we want to support our customers where they are, and sure. smart cards, you know, were great. I mean, Microsoft employees carry them even to this day. Um, but to go back to your question of is this a real thing? The World Economic Forum at Davos just released a white paper yesterday wow. on passwordless and and you know why organizations need to think about this. It really is becoming fundamental to your online security and more and more companies are online. And In just, fact, if you're not online, you're <laughs> not sure your, your future interest in some regards. So, Well, and just sort of acknowledging that passwords aren't working, like this is not good enough. Right. You know, even my daughter, when I say, you know, hey, you have a username and password for your school account. And she said, yeah, I was like, did you know that someone who could get a hold of your password could log in from another school? And that triggered, oh, well, what, you know, that's not right. Of course, it's not like if a, if a, if an eight year old can understand that, you know, passwords are something that other people can use and you don't even know about that. Um, that's those, you know, just the fundamental security of them are, are suspect and compromised at this point. So and the alternatives, not smart cards. What what are the best alternatives now? This is the the interesting one. I mean, obviously, not just passwords. Right. If you have a password, please put it behind multi-factor authentication. Uh, you know, banging the drum on enabling MFA. Mm -hmm. Microsoft just enabled um, through what we're calling security defaults. I believe is the term we finally landed on. That you know, new tenants in Azure. Those users, those admins just automatically have an MFA policy attached with them. Right. Um, because that protects, you know, even if your password, password gets hacked or fished or cracked, um, there is something else protecting the bad guy from accessing your data and resources. So please, for the love of God, enable MFA. Right. But then, and this is, this is we know that people are enabling that MFA because it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard for users. Like I used to be the program manager on the Microsoft Authenticator app, which is a pretty easy MFA second factor solution. You type your username, you type your password, your phone buzzes, you click a button and you're logged in. Right. But my mom asked me, should I use this on my personal account? And knowing that I would be mom's IT support. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you should. Um, but it was not an enthusiastic recommendation on my part um, because it's, you know, that introduces a level of complexity to the user. They now have something they aren't sure that they remember. They may have set it up. And if you're not logging in all that frequently, you might forget what you set up. People lose their phones. Um, so that two factor, two things solution. Um, and again, if your password is cracked, hacked or fished, um, it's really, you're now down to that one remaining factor. It's just not the best, um, it's not the best use case story. It's difficult for IT pros to manage it. So we're trying to figure out what's that next solution. And the where the industry then is going is what I call device-based credentials, which is 
your credential lives on the thing you're carrying around with you, whether that thing is your mobile phone Mm -hmm. or your laptop or a hardware device or security key. Um, uh, Most commonly, people would think of them as a FIDO credential or um, oftentimes people will call them a YubiKey. That's a brand name to the company of Yubico. But it's that your device that you have has uh, the credential that allows you to log in. And oftentimes when you're just logging in onto the that device, you don't even really notice it. Face ID is a perfect example of um, that login based on your device. Uh, Windows Hello for Business or Windows Hello on your Windows PC uh, with Windows 10 is another one of those examples. Yeah, the Face ID one's interesting. It, it looks really cool, but it just seems like that's a political hot button now. Anything to do with imaging a face. Absolutely. But where we like to make sure we're drawing the line is the biometrics that are registering that credential or that you're doing that recognition with, that biometric information should never leave the device. Right. Yeah. And I I guess that's the important part is what you do with data is always more important than what the even what the data is. Yeah. And, you know, with Windows Hello, the biometric or fingerprint data never leaves the device. Uh, I can't speak with 100% certainty, but I'm pretty positive that same is true with Face ID, Touch ID. Um, you know, there there are some services that say, hey, we'll, you know, allow you to do cloud login with face recognition. Frankly, that is not something I would want to participate right. in and have my face, you know, be stored elsewhere because uh, I don't know what they're doing with it and how it can be abused in the future. But for authentication and credentials, biometrics on the device using your login to that device. Yeah, makes total sense. So we get passwordless when we get multi-factor where none of them is a password then? Is that really sort of where we get to then? So the the credentials that I particularly work with, whether, again, it's the FIDO key, um, Microsoft Authenticator app has a passwordless credential associated with it. We're calling it passwordless phone sign-in. We need to work on the names. Mm-hmm. Uh, names ha- names are Hello. hard. They're way harder than you think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, Windows Hello for Business, all of those, how, how they are structured becomes really important to why they are so strong. And what happens is as a user, when you set up those credentials, um, for example, on Windows Hello for Business, we're going to ask you for your username so we know who you are, your password and a second factor. So we already have that MFA claim, you know, it's it's a strong claim, two factors. Right. Now, and then we create a, using public-private key infrastructure, PKI, we create a credential stored in the secure enclave of your Windows device. Um, that private key stays there. It is protected by your PIN or biometric on the device. And then the public key, which anyone can have, yeah. um, gets registered into the cloud. And so that is the same with a FIDO security key, where when you register your credential with the relying party, in this case, Azure Active Directory or your Microsoft Outlook account, um, the private key goes on the little hardware dongle that you may have, and the public key gets registered in the cloud. Um, And then Microsoft has added a level to the FIDO protocol, which is we're always asking or requiring for user verification, which is that PIN Right. Or in some cases, the the FIDO security key may have a biometric uh, touch ID sensor, not touch ID, but, you know, biometric fingerprint reader. And when I think so again, the, about, the private key is stored on the device, it's unlocked or accessed by the pin or biometric. And then the public 
key in the cloud is what completes that authentication. Right. And so anybody can access the public key to do an encryption, to do an authentication that only you can decrypt because you have the private key. Well, I, I don't want to say anyone. That public key, at least in the in in these situations, is registered to Azure Active Directory right. or the so Microsoft it, online relying party. Right. So there is restrictions mm-hmm. around it. And when you say but if that key, if that public key got out into the wild, it could not be used against you. Right. Because in yeah. the end, in the end, you have the other half of that. And if you decide you're not willing to authenticate with that key anymore, it's garbage. Exactly. And when you say FIDO key, I mean, I tend to think YubiKey as a product, but there are other versions of FIDO key. Correct. We launched in our public preview, we launched with a couple other vendors as well. Fateon Technologies, HID Global, um, the FIDO Alliance is really the organization that is doing the bulk of the certification of what credentials meet the FIDO standards. Mm-hmm. And then Microsoft does an additional level of testing just to make sure that the optional um, bits of the FIDO standard that we require are also being met. Right. So th- there is a sort of open body for certifying <laughs> this. So you can buy whatever devices comply. Exactly. And, you know, it's interesting to me how, and this is one of the great things about working with a standards organization. So the FIDO Alliance uh, work uh, on two primary standards. One is called WebAuthn, and that's a W3C uh, standard now. You can go to GitHub and file issues and and see all the development. Mm -hmm. And the other is called CTAP, or Client to Authenticator Protocol. Um, and that's also a standard, but I don't believe it's falling under the W3C org yet. Um, but because these are standards, that means anyone in the anyone can meet those standards and work to get certified to those standards. So since June, I know we've been approached by at least 10 different companies saying, hey, you know, we want to go down this road and get certified with Fido and Microsoft uh, to create these security keys. That's cool. And and the interesting thing that I think is, and this is a great thing about working with partners, is that each one of them is going about it in a slightly different manner. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, Yubico, they are really working on um, building the whole Microsoft solution with the the company. And you know, yes, they're selling a hardware device, but they're also you know with that helping an organization think about how they're integrating to Azure Active Directory and how they can and do that journey from going with passwords and MFA to passwordless. Um, and so we're working with them. A company like Fateon Technologies is really more about, you know, hey, large organization who has very interesting use cases for users who would want to use security keys. What is the best form factor for that user? And how can we make sure that that user experience for your bulk of those users is great? And so they are really um, innovating in what a FIDO credential could in fact look like. Hmm. Is it, you know, something that you can put in your pocket or tie on a keychain or set on your desk um, and, you know, uh, co-brand it and customize it. And, and they're doing some really cool things there as well. Yeah. Now this is, it's interesting now just see that bit of diversity and it speaks to a strong ecosystem, but you you know, again, the IT guy me goes, okay, now what am I going to put this on? Is it just for logins to windows? Oh, and that's where the roadmap gets um, murky. Yes, you can use your final key to log into a Windows device. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also use Windows Hello to log into a Windows device. Yes. Um, so I'm going to take a step back and like, what can you use a FIDO cred for? It's more like, what 
where all do you authenticate and mm-hmm. what passwordless methods are the best way to authenticate to those things? Um, if you're logging into a Windows device, we want your best experience to be the easiest and fastest one. And if you have Windows Hello for Business setup and you can open your laptop and the camera recognizes you and you get the winky face and you log in and you have seamless access to all your apps across your cloud and on-premise resources, that's a fabulous story. Right. Great experience. But great experience. However, (laughs) (laughs) there had to be a however, not everyone is there yet and not everyone is going to get there yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, not everyone can can support that. So, you know, for example, setting up Windows Hello is generally we think of it as a one user or one to two users on a single device story. Right. But there's some PCs that get used by many people and you can't go around and have like, you know, if you're in a a hot desk situation like a call center where you come in and you find a PC, you can't set up your credential on each and every PC you might visit that month. Uh, so that's where, you know, you might have a FIDO security key to take with you. And so then it looks like you go to an open, an open cubicle, you see that PC, you enter your FIDO key or tap it with an NFC badge or you use the USB connection and log in, and then you have seamless access to all your apps and services. Right. Um, for people who might have, I'll call it more than one identity, uh, <laughs> they might have their PC set up with, you know, your daily driver identity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm user at Contoso.com, but when I need to be admin at Contoso.com, I don't want to have to log out and log back in again as a right. different user. Maybe I just use my credential or my Microsoft Authenticator app to log into whatever I'm attempting to access, maybe the Azure portal, um, use my FIDO key through the web login. And so that's, you know, another situation of it kind of depends on what you're accessing and how you're accessing it. At the top, when we were chatting before, I mentioned, you know, like I didn't quite realize when I started stepped into this role, how intertwined authentication is into so many other aspects of IT. Oh, yeah. No kidding. It's in everything. It's device management. It's application development stories. It's, you know, uh, networking. You know, oh, how does this work if I'm on network versus off network? Right. Um, yeah. You know, did... I had to learn what Kerberos was to understand what was happening <laughs> on a Windows device. That's so. awesome. And Libby, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very yeah. important message. If keeping up with the growing amount of security patches and managing complex Microsoft in-place upgrades are becoming a pain point within your IT department... Baramundi Management Suite is the solution. The Baramundi Management Suite gives you real-time lifecycle management of all network endpoints, from classic Windows and Mac to iOS and Android devices. Baramundi software automates time-consuming tasks, including Windows migration, software installation, inventory, and backup. Whether you manage IT for a small company or a global corporation, Baramundi optimizes endpoint management, frees time for new projects, and reduces IT costs. Check out www.baramundisoftware.com to receive your Run As Radio 25% discount and info for a 30-day trial. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Libby Brown. We're talking a little bit about password authentication. And, and I have to admit, like, I'm a YubiKey consumer. Uh, when I have, you know, pluses and minuses of that, the main thing that I use it for more than anything is it's required to get access to my LastPass account. So mm-hmm. you can't get to my passwords without my YubiKey, essentially. 
But I, and I do live in fear of losing a YubiKey, although I did immediately get several so that I, you know, there are backups. Right. But I think if, if I was thinking of this from I'm running an operation with a few thousand people and they all need multiple YubiKeys, like that is not a trivial thing to manage. I mean, I, I got to think at any given time, I'm going to have at least one help desk ticket for a lost key. Absolutely. You know, we know that help desk costs for lost passwords are up there. I yeah. think I saw one study that said, you know, they expected it was a roughly $50 per help desk call just in terms of the support costs. Mm-hmm. Um, does that go away with passwordless credentials? Uh, it's a little too soon to tell. Yeah. I kind of am leaning towards, no, you're still going to have people who lose the thing they use to sign it. Yes. Hopefully they don't um, lose their face. But <laughs> hopefully not. But, you know, if, if that the credential gets corrupt on the device they're using uh, and they can't use that credential, yeah. you know, what, what happens? The approach that we are trying to, to seed is kind of to your point. You should always have more than one strong, strong device or strong authentication method. Right. Um, so uh, and then you should be able to bootstrap from one to the other. So if I can start with a PC that has a strong password or has that MFA capability, I can use that PC to create the security key. From that security key, I could go to a different PC and mm-hmm. continue the chain. So, you know, hopefully it comes down to you should always have at least one thing in your possession. And if you are down to nothing, then what happens? Yeah. What, what is the way, a, way back? <laughs> In an organization, you know, you kind of have this built-in recovery of somebody else hopefully can go help you out. Yeah. Well, I mean, the worst case scenario from an IT perspective, the the worst case scenario is that I off-board this person, right, as if they were leaving the company, which normally has mechanisms for recovering mailboxes and file shares and so forth, and then re-onboard them with new credentials and like setting that as my low bar of that is the worst case scenario. Now let's try and do better than that. We should be able to get the account back. Right. And you know, that's, that's something that we are just in discussion with kind of on a constant basis sure. now is, you know, okay, everyone right now for better or for worse has these things called passwords. They can fall back to. Yep. Or smart cards for the 10 organizations that made it work. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is if we're really passwordless, then the password still shouldn't be the fallback. Right. So, but, and what happens when you get to a world where there is no password and you lost the phone? Right. Um, so again, you know, ad, in an organization where hopefully you have more than one admin and that admin has a break glass account, there are ways to set the organization up for success. It becomes a lot harder for a consumer and you, I could feel that visceral, like, what happened if you lost access to your LastPass account? Mm-hmm. I got to think you'd be a little hosed. Well, it, it's a long it's, road it's, back to rebuilding all of those accounts, right? Exactly. In theory, you can. It's just a lot of work. But honestly... In some cases, you can't yeah, even get back your account. Including LastPass. Like, LastPass says point blank. It's like, if you lose this master password, we don't have recourse for you. And that, as a consumer, is a scary proposition. Yes, absolutely. Imagine getting locked out of your Gmail account or your Outlook account or your GitHub account. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's somebody's livelihood. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough to build your, to, to, to recover from that. And from that token, I'm like, I just don't feel like passwordless is something for consumers. 
But for me as an IT person who's looking at the cost and risk of the thousands of passwords that my, that are out there for my users, I think I have pretty strong incentive to decrease that risk at I'm willing to incur some overhead, whether it's providing UB keys de- and then dealing with the lost ones, like getting Windows Hello for business set up across the board. Like this to me sort of makes sense where this place l- exists. Well, I, I, so I, I want to address the organization and risk and benefit, but mm-hmm. I do want to go back to consumers and say passwordless is a new concept across the industry. All major identity providers or trying to figure out how to make this work. Right. So while today it feels scary, we know, you know, I work with our consumer side as well. We know that passwords are just as bad for the consumer and they need to be doing MFA and passwordless methods are better. Right. Um, so, so we are working to figure out what are those recovery stories? What are those methods? How do we protect the user? How do we make it not scary and not intimidating for the user to be safe and secure? Mm-hmm. And I know it's not just Microsoft. You know, this, this is an industry-wide problem that we are looking at. But going back to as an organization, you know, fundamentally, IT and security is about that cost-benefit analysis. Mm-hmm. And what are the costs of a security breach? Versus the cost of day-to-day eat-your-veggies digital security hygiene. Yeah. And passwordless becomes one of those things that, you know, as you move towards a, I'm going to use a hype term, a zero-trust network where your identity really is that digital control plane. That is a good um, hype term, yes. Yeah, I, I, I recognize that. I'll, I'll put money in the in the jargon yeah. jar for Ka-ching. that one. Yeah, hope she pulled the zero-trust card. Zero-trust and... um. Uh, yeah, digital security, <laughs> identity is the control plane. All of those are, you know, <laughs> good jargon. Yep. But I mean, fundamentally, if, if your identity and, and is what gives you access and authorization to source code, import and documents, what does it mean if, you're, if that one key to unlock all of those critical doors is something that we know is useless? Yeah. A password. Yeah. We know- How do you measure that cost? Yeah. We, we, you can go out and see the, you know, the average cost of a data breach is data. Yeah. Um, that's in the news. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's constant, right? And it, and, it, and it's exactly that point. It's like we now recognize that passwordless are, passwords are largely just a source of vulnerability. And we're, mm-hmm. and so we're layering stuff around it in MFA so that it's less of a vulnerability. But I, you know, I think I can sell this to my users as a, you know how I make you change your password every other month? What if I stopped doing that because you didn't have one? By the way, uh, guidance, including NIST, says don't make your users change your passwords unless you detect a breach. Right. Uh, just to, to save your users from that monthly password change. Yeah. Uh, but absolutely. Um, you know, we at a, I presented at Ignite and we had a gentleman uh, from Diamondback Energy come and get on stage and talk about his passwordless journey with us. And what he is funny because he said, well, how did you get people to join your passwordless pilot? And he says, well, I bribed them with a gift card. Um, but it turned out that they really liked the experiences of using their passwordless credentials so much more. It was just easier than passwords in MFA. And so I think that, you know, as users start to recognize, hey, we have to do this thing, but there are easier ways to 
do that secure authentication, that's it's just going to be a natural draw. Sure. It's getting over that hurdle of understanding why the extra level of security. Can I jump back to the authenticator bits for a, a sure. while? Because everybody's got an authenticator. Does are there are some authenticators more equal than others? I mean, obviously Microsoft and Google and Facebook, but it, I mean, the LastPass guys and I think the OnePass guys have them as well. Like, does it matter what authenticator you use? Fundamentally, most authenticators are using a standard RFC protocol for oath tokens. Um, and that's the same, that oath token is, you can either call it a software oath token in your authenticator app or a hardware oath token. Like you might think of like a, an RSA dongle that spits out that, you know, six digit code. Um, but it fundamentally comes from a standard. Right. And so any app, that can support that standard and any identity provider that supports that standard, they should be interchangeable. Should now, being the operative they, word. <laughs> should being the operative word. Absolutely. All standards have options. Mm -hmm. uh, that said, then if you are really thinking about what app do I put on my phone, you know, that comes down to more of a matter of preference and, and what other features are the app offering? Right. I will say the Microsoft Authenticator app now has backup and restore. Mm -hmm. And so that means if you lose your phone, you, you know, flushes down the toilet and you have to go to the, to the phone store and get a new one, you can get all of your MFA accounts back that right. are Oath Token accounts. So you're not recreating them all. Exactly. Um, and so that, I think, is a feature worth considering, mm -hmm. um, you know, as we just talked about consumer and account recovery considerations. Yeah. Well, and just friction uh, in general. Yeah. Um, but, you know, another uh, auth app that works with the account you use heavily, for example, Google, if, you know, you live and die in your Gmail account, they have a nice push notification system. Right. Um, just like if you, you know, were a heavy um, Azure AD or Outlook user, you might want to use the Authenticator app for the push notifications as well. Push is not an industry standard at this time, unfortunately. Right. But and there's no reason you couldn't run both, except now you have two places to look. Exactly. And you might get confused as to which one was most recent and yeah. What accounts are where, all of that sort of thing. Exactly. It, it creates its own sort of fun. And then, like I said, there are scads of them. So if I'm, is but, I, you know, I, I will say Microsoft, you know, we'd love for you to use the Microsoft Authenticator, but it's more important to use an Authenticator. Right. <laughs> so but, go make your account secure. We don't care exactly how you do it. Just do um, it. <laughs> please, for the love of God, enable MFA. Yeah. But, and by, and by that same token, it's like, if you're living in Office 365 land, you probably want the Microsoft Authenticator. It's the lowest friction experience. And with Authenticator, um, it's a little Okay, I'm going to go into details because I used to be the Microsoft Authenticator you know, PM. I, I asked um, you for a reason, Libby. I knew you <laughs> would know the answer here. Yeah. So uh, it's a bit of a, I don't want to call it a Trojan horse because that sounds negative. Yeah. But within the Microsoft Authenticator app, we host what is called the broker library. Mm -hmm. And so that bit of code in the auth app is what allows seamless sign-on to your Office 365 accounts um, or Office 365 apps. So if you uh, log into Word on your phone or iPad and you have Authenticator installed, then when you open PowerPoint, that account is just going to transition seamlessly. Um, where that really matters is Outlook. So you are accessing your email in um, Outlook on Android, and then you get sent a document 
you can click on that document and it will open up in the, you know, the office app on your Android device and it will just have all the access it needs because of that brokering of tokens. Right. So that's one reason why, you know, you might have, you know, even if you don't have MFA installed, if you're in an Office 365 organization, you might be get you might get asked to install the authenticator app mm-hmm. and it's for that brokering. Right. It's just it's pretty, kind of by default if you're using Office 365. And it's, it is the challenge here. It, it just occurred to me as sort of a summary on this is that this is a many to many problem. Most people have more than one identity and everybody has multiple devices. And so you invariably are going to get into some challenges where it's like, who are you right now and what device are you on that you're going to be able to do, to successfully authenticate on anything? Exactly. And it, that's the crux of what what brings me to work every day and frankly right. what brings most of my colleagues to work every day um you know on a, on a windows device are you your consumer account or right. are you your work account should it matter yeah yes it should in terms of like what resources you can access and and you know what information cross-pollinates um but you know we're trying so hard to give you um this way to toggle between those accounts or merge them together in a way that you as the user have control of where that information goes, but you can also access it when you need it and on, on what device you want to access it on. Just being aware, even though I am this identity right now, there's another identity that I can be. Exactly. You know, I, if I go to outlook.com, am I actually trying to access my work email or my mm, personal email? Right. And wouldn't it be nice if I could just flip between the two very simply? I, d- I do think that another aspect of this, and it's certainly an ongoing conversation on the show, is this sort of just enough administration that as an administrator, there may be several additional identities that I can call upon because they have specific administrative rights that occasionally I'm responsible for. So the the fact that I could, you know, I'm supposed to be living as a domain user the mo- most of the time on my machines and only elevate to an administrative account when required. And even that administrative account is quite granular. So it only has certain privileges. And I have to go to that particular one means that I could easily have, a you know, half a dozen different admin identities that I might want to jump to for some brief period of time. Absolutely. I mean, we definitely want to encourage people not to have too many admin roles that have rights to the world. Yeah, no super users, period. Right. Limit that global admin account and and protect it. Um, And But then how do you do that separation of duties? Is it multiple accounts with limited roles? Is it using something like privileged identity management where you escalate your user to have those permissions for a time and then de-escalate them again? Right. You know, I, I don't think that there's one right answer. No, it's we haven't solved this. That's for org. Yeah. And it, and the other aspect of this is making you uncomfortable while you're in administrator privileges, right? Like <laughs> there is no browser. You're being timed. Everything is logged, right? It's just like, look, don't hang out in an admin account. Do your job. Get out. And that is, you know, it's almost a layer beyond identity, but it is, you know, we talk about how this affects everything. But I, I do see, you know, as you're starting to describe this relationship with identities, like these are all tools that make it easier for me to sort of fall into the pit of success of good identity behavior, minimizing privilege. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, again, it fundamentally comes back to how do we know who you are, who you, who you say you are? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so then we bring it back down to what did you use to authenticate yourself? Right. 
and yep. and I'm perfectly willing to like every time I shift identity, make me reauthenticate. I mean, don't make it crazy. I shouldn't have to give blood, but yeah, do I have to tap the key again? Do I have to show my face again? Like well, whatever it is, but I don't. I'm I personally find more and more when software notices something unusual in my identity behavior and it asks me additional questions, I'm kind of happy about that. It's like, ah, yeah, you noticed I'm I'm not at home. I am down in Mexico and logging into an admin account. So you're asking me three more sort of difficult questions that only I could know the answer to. Like those are good days that we have some awareness in the system of what's normal and what's unusual. As long as you recognize that your identity system is doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, I have, I have gotten escalations of like, hey, I'm traveling. And now, you know, I tried to log into my Hotmail account to get my airline itinerary and I can't access it because it's asking me to proof up. Right. You know, and I don't have mobile access. So, you know, my I can't get an SMS code sent to me. Yeah. Um, you know, like... <laughs> It's got, you got to have that flexibility of proof. Exactly. Or, you know, and if, if they had been aware that that was a, a, a security measure that was on their account, maybe they, you know, it wouldn't have caught that person by surprise. Yeah. Um, been there. But I do want to go back to, um, you know, we talked about, about, you know, authenticator app and, mm-hmm. and multi-factor authentication um, and making it easy for the user we, we touched a little bit on, you know, users will understand that they need to do security if they're given appropriate reasons for it. Right. But, you know, how many times have you taken a training on and now we're going to enable MFA? You know, that's not something that I think most organizations really spend much time on. True. And so users aren't they don't have that context. And what we're starting to see is I, I say, you know, users won't do security if it's hard. They yep. will find their ways around it. Yes. Um, Including going uh, off your systems entirely. Like they will exactly. circumvent you. Um, but there's an app in the Android store. It may have been taken down by now. But for a while, there was an app that would automatically approve MFA push notifications if you were a duo MFA user. So think yeah. about this use That's case. That's kind of terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> they enter their username, they enter their password, they have to approve a notification on their phone and they're logged in. That's not hard. Right. But some people felt it was hard enough that they wanted to install a separate app to do the push notification approval uh, without any reasoning or rational behind it. So now let's imagine it's a bad guy attacking that account and they know your username and they know your password and your phone just automatically lets them in. Um <laughs> <laughs> we we, we want to prevent users from bypassing security. And the yeah. best way to do that is to make the security easy and natural. And that's, again, where people are thinking about these passwordless credentials. Yeah. Low friction approaches to it. Exactly. And that, and that comes into play as well with, like, to your point, do you always make that user re-MFA or change their password? Mm-hmm. Data is saying no. Yeah. Like, well, unless the, you detect that something is wrong with that user's use case, yeah, it don't make them re-enter their password. Don't make them MFA again. Right. If they're on a trusted device on a corporate network, if you think that something bad is happening, it's probably not an IT problem at that point. Right. Well, and, and it's one thing about pressing a big red button. Okay, we're going to re-authenticate everybody. And, and the other thing of just being able to granularly say these are the vectors that need to change and I want you to force authentication. Like it's not in the IP range or it's not on premises. It's a new device or something we don't recognize. Of course, we all just moved up to the new edge browser and it tripped how many additional security checks to switch versions of the browser. I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, this is, it's just one of those things, these things change so quickly across so many vectors that it's kind of hard to make sure it all seamlessly fits together right at the start. Right. It's just a con, yeah. you know, how many things are triggering us at any given time. And if United to- tells me any more on its website that I don't recognize this device, I'm going to have to go punch somebody. Well, I get asked for um, some use cases that I just, it makes me shudder because, you know, think about your uh, uh, mobile device um, that's being managed by your company and the company wants to protect the information on that yep. device. So they say you have to set a device pin and it's going to be alphanumeric one. You must hate your users. If you're going to ask them to type a little tiny keyboard yes. on their little tiny phone. <laughs> and then they say, okay, but then we want to, you know, make sure that you do MFA. Okay, fine. I get that. But then they say, but we want you to enter a pin to do MFA. <laughs> and, but we also want to make sure that, you know, you can't just open the app. So let's put a pin on the app as well. And I'm saying, do you realize that the person who is just trying to check their email is now being asked to do alphanumeric pin, app pin, MFA pin? They're going to like time out before they even get to, you know, see what the conference room is for their next meeting. Right. Or they're just not going to check. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's really, you know, think about what that user experience is coupled with the security that you really are asking for. Yes, this is the this is the policy governance sort of problem space on this to have a good enough experience that people actually be willing to do it. We got problems with passwords. Don't have don't make MFA the problem. Yeah, and and you know we at Microsoft for Azure AD we have something called conditional access, which mm-hmm. you know helps alleviate some of that. You can put in a place like, look, if they're on a trusted device or on a corporate network, you don't have to do MFA. Right. But, you know, if they're logging in from who knows where, yes, you know, put all due rigor and security into place. Mm -hmm. Well, it makes total sense to me, Libby. Thanks so much for this conversation. I I feel like I've got a couple of ideas on things I want to add in my own world. Uh, I look forward to hearing uh, about what those might be. Um, And I I do want to leave with the... The notion that, you know, we don't want this to be scary or intimidating. It's just the nature of being secure, you know, as we come into the modern era and and risks. More and more information is moving online and more and more people are figuring out how to go after that information. It's, It's a necessary evil in that regard, but we're trying our best to make it as easy as possible so users can stay safe. Um, but yet still continue to do the work they need to do. I appreciate that. Thanks for all your efforts. And that's the show. Libby Brown, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, it's been a pleasure. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.